didn't watch that intro video ahead of time, which I should have. So um, to clarify, I would prefer to be addressed as the Reverend Pastor Brian. So. <laughs> um, but actually, uh, Pastor B-Dog, that'll suffice if you guys just want to do that. Uh, just kidding about that. So someone was watching that video earlier. I didn't watch it earlier, but um, they said, Daniel looks like he's in a padded room. And so just to assure you, <laughs> we, he did, we did not commit him to an insane asylum or something. I'm not sure where he recorded that. Um, how many of you have played the game Hide and Seek? You can raise your hand. All right, so that's most of you. Um, it's a pretty common game, right? It's something that has lasted through the generations with like old people like me played hide and seek when we were kids. Um, kids today, when they're little, they still play hide and seek, right? Until they discover video games, at least. Um, the, it's, it's really beautiful in its simplicity, right? Because you don't need a playing field, you don't need equipment, you don't need a card, you don't need a board. You could, you could even play hide and seek with two people, right? And theoretically, you could play hide and seek with an unlimited amount of people. Um, so it's really kind of a cross-generational game. And um, what I want to find out right now is how many, of, how many of you prefer to be the seeker? You can raise your hands. No one likes seeking? Does that mean the rest of you? There's a couple. You guys like the adventure of discovery and saying, I gotcha. Um, the rest of you like to be hiders? Is that the preference? Or people just don't want to raise their hands? Um, one of our kids, I won't say which one, when they first started playing hide-and-seek, they didn't really get the concept of hiding very well, and so, and I've seen other kids do this, so we're not the only ones. So I would be the seeker, right, and I would close my eyes, I'd count to 10 or 20 or whatever it was, and then I'd open my eyes and I would say, what did I say? Not, ready or not, here I come. And then I'd hear a small voice down the hall say, Daddy, come find me, right, and so, um, if you're really a competitive hider, you don't, you, don't give away your, you don't give away your secret hiding place right? when the seeker starts looking for you. Um, but think about it for a minute. Think about when you're hiding. So um, you may have crammed yourself into like a really small corner so you don't get found, right? And so you might be really uncomfortable and maybe your calf is cramping up and your neck hurts, but like you do everything you can just to stay still so you don't get found. And say the seeker starts coming close, you hear those footsteps approaching. Um, you might even stop breathing because you want to make sure you're super silent so no one finds you, right? Um, you might have to sneeze, and you do everything you can to hold in your sneeze because you don't want to be found. And uh, your head might explode, but you don't want to sneeze. You might even have to pee, right? And so you do everything you can to hold that in because uh, you don't want to be found by the seeker, right? But ultimately, everybody comes out, right? Everybody's found, or if you aren't found, you come out. And um, I don't know, has anybody ever played a game of hide-and-seek where like, someone was never found and they're still missing to this day? <laughs> Sharon, I'm going to introduce you to a police officer, I know. Um, OK, so um, this week, as we mentioned, we're wrapping up Swipe Right, which we're talking about. What are we talking about again? Relationships, right? So today's topic is purity. And so what we're going to do, we're going to explore some of those things in our lives that we might hide deep down inside. And we keep them uh, wrapped up and away from the eyes of anybody around us. And what happens when we, when we do that is those things, when we hide them away, they begin to sabotage our relationships. And they begin to hold us in shackles. And so we're going to talk about how do, we, how do we free ourselves from those things that really keep us captive so that we can live into full, um, whole and healthy relationships uh, with those around us. All right. Um, we're going to begin by talking about 
our relationship with God, because our relationship with God is what really defines the context for all of our other relationships, okay? So um, we'll interact a bit. What, does, what, do you, what, does, what do you think about when I say, or when the Bible says that God is holy? What, uh, what comes to mind? I'm sorry, what? Perfect, perfection. What else? I'm going to venture down here into the lava. You guys play that when you're kids? Don't touch the floor. It's hot lava, right? What else? Holy. Set apart, perfection. Pure, what else? Divine. Divine. Okay. Um, yeah, holy is it's really hard to describe. It is, when we talk about God being holy, he is completely set apart. He is something completely different than us, and he's pure. And that's kind of the context we're going to talk about today, that as we're talking about purity, let's think about God's holiness as, as total purity. He's uncontaminated. He's unadulterated. He is, he is pure God, right? And he's pure goodness. In the Bible, we talk about um, holiness in terms of um, being um, singular in its purpose and its focus. And um, so think about that for a minute. And what happens, what happened in our whole history is that we look at back at the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, and in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, God creates all of, all of creation, including humans, and he says they're good. But then we keep following the narrative to chapter 3 of Genesis, and he says, sin entered this world. Sin entered creation, and sin was an impurity. And that impurity filtered throughout all of creation and started permeating, permeating everything. It even permeates all of humans who we are today. And so sin contaminated our world and made it impure. And so if God is holy, in order to be true to himself, he can't really interact and be a relationship with someone who's impure and unholy, right? And so, so we have this problem. We have a broken relationship with God, and because of sin entering this world, we have broken relationships with each other. We have a broken relationships uh, with, our, with creation around us. Um, someone I heard describes it as a vandalism of relationships. And so I also heard... Think about holiness this way. Um, there's this other illustration I heard with um, using the sun. So the sun, the sun is this great ball of gases, super hot, and it's pure energy, right? And if anything comes too close to the sun, the proximity will just be, it'll be consumed by the sun, right? And in the same way, God is so pure and holy. If anything, if we, in all of our impurities and imperfections and brokenness, we can't try to come and hang out with God, um, we would just be consumed by his holy presence. Because, not because he doesn't love us, uh, but if God said, hey, it's okay, you're unclean, you can come ha hang out with me, that would just contradict his whole um, character of being holy, right? So God had to figure out another way that we could actually have a relationship with him in spite of our impurities, right? Hopefully that makes sense. Um, and that's, that's the hope that we have. And we're going to talk, talk a little bit about that in just a minute. But we're going to dive into Ephesians chapter 5 first. Um, it's going to be on the screen, and there it is, on cue. If you have the Bible app, we encourage you to use that as well. If, um, if you have your hard copy Bibles, that's great. The Ephesians, um, Ephesians is a letter in the New Testament. So the New Testament is the second half of the Bible. Ephesians is actually a letter written by a guy we call the Apostle Paul, who actually started all these churches in Europe and... Uh, this church that he started in the city of Ephesus, it was a group of followers of Jesus, and he's writing a letter to them to help them know how they can have um, whole and healthy relationships. And he gives a lot of advice and a lot of concepts for them. Um, we're going to start in verse 3, and uh, let me just read, starting in verse 3. <clears throat> let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. 
You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Uh, let's stop there for a minute, and let's go back to verse 3. So in verse 3, you see, you see this uh, trio of sexual immorality, impurity, and greed right here. But if you also look through other parts of the Bible, we see that sexual immorality, impurity, they're paired up together often. And so um, the Bible talks about those things together. And so we're going to address a bit of that tonight, today when it comes to our relationships. <clears throat> but you also look in verse 3, in the end it says, talks about God's people, all right? And if you look at other translations of this verse, it says God's holy people. And so when we as followers of Jesus are referred to in the Bible as God's people, often it talks about holiness. Remember, we just talked about holiness, and holiness is what? It's purity, right? And so God's people, us, we're, we're designed to be pure, and um, we are called God's holy people. And so even though we walk around in our brokenness and our sinfulness, um, God's intent for us is to be a, whole, a holy and pure people. And that's part of the vision that uh, we want to look forward to uh, today. That's pure feedback. Uh, let's go on to verse uh, 6. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins. For the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Don't participate in the things like these people do. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. All right, so we have some uh, mention of light throughout this verse. Um, darkness and light. Um, let me just throw this out there again. What do you guys think of when you think of light? What do you associate with light? Flashlight, I heard something else. Bright, brightness, flashlight, what else? Louder. <laughs> I can't hear you. Purity. Purity. <laughs> All right, good one. What else? Daytime. Right, the sun, again, that provides us with light, right? Um, often in the Bible we hear, we see light, it's associated with, um, with goodness, with purity, with truth. Uh, light is something that guides us, right? Light uh, reveals things. It, um, it's uh, associated with righteousness. It's associated with kind of God's, God's holy presence. Um, is often associated with light. Um, but an important thing to notice in this verse, go back to verse uh, 6, is that, uh, is it 6? Where was it? The one about light, 7, 8, next one. <laughs> that um, the light is from the Lord in the end of verse 8. And that's important to note, that we don't generate light on our own. We're not human fireflies. We uh, receive light from God, and it's God at work in us that uh, begins to shine light in our darkness, that begins to make us pure, and that begins to overflow into our relationships and into our world to bring the light of truth, the light of goodness, um, the light of hope that expels darkness um, in a world around us that's broken, right? So um, we're going to keep that in mind. <clears throat> Even uh, last week, a couple weeks ago, Pastor Daniel talked about how um, it's not on our own strength that we can become the people that we want to be. When we, were, we were talking about dating relationships a couple weeks ago. Um, it's, it's by the power of God that's in us. And it's the power of God, his light that is inside, inside of us that allows us to enter fully into healthy relationships, all right? Um, so, the two words, back in verse 3, we talked about sexual immorality and purity, how they're kind of paired together. So, I'm going to talk about them in terms of, I'm just going to combine them and um, call it sexual impurity. And that's kind of one of the things, that's what we're going to focus on today. 
Um, the Bible often speaks of sexual impurity in terms of adultery. So adultery we define as uh, sex outside of marriage. So if you're married, but you have sex with someone who's not your spouse, right? And throughout the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, we see that it's prohibited, okay? And um, it's not because God is just sitting in a distant away in heaven as a cosmic killjoy and says, hey, I don't want you guys to have fun or enjoy yourselves. It's because God designed us for fulfilling and whole relationships. And he knows, um, he knows the boundaries that we're supposed to have in order to experience those. And he wants us to experience those. Um, so I, I know we come from a lot of different backgrounds here at Eden Church and different perspectives and worldviews. And so maybe you don't believe in monogamy, but for today's message, we're going to assume that that's the standard that we're working with. Um, and I'd be happy to talk to people afterwards if that's not your perspective. But um, when we do have sex outside of marriage, we're breaking a bond of intimacy that is very difficult to get over. In fact, last week, Pastor Daniel talked about how sex is not just physical. Sex is not just something that we can detach ourselves from, and it's just a physical act. A lot more goes on there emotionally, spiritually, uh, that happens when two people are united in sex. And we see in, later in Ephesians chapter 5, if you jump down to verse 31, that uh, husband and wife are meant to be united as one. So when that bond is broken through adultery, there's, um, there's a trust and a betrayal that is very difficult to repair, that goes beyond just the physical part, all right? And what happens is we lose a part of ourselves in um, an act of sex with someone who's not our spouse, and that causes us to be unable to give fully to our spouse the way that we want to be. Um, it, it keeps us from being fully ourselves and giving to our own spouse when we break that bond outside of marriage. Okay, so um, we're going to talk about two things today in that context. We're going to talk about sex outside of marriage, and then we're going to talk about pornography. And if, that, uh, if you don't see how that relates, you will in a few minutes, hopefully. All right, so first, we're going to talk about marriage. Um, as followers of Jesus, we really, we believe that the Bible says marriage is for life, okay? We make a commitment, uh, traditional vows say, till death do us part, right? Um, that's not to say that there isn't forgiveness available. Divorce happens often, but um, the intent, the God's standard for us is that we commit to marriage for life, right? And again, when there's adultery happening, there's a betrayal of trust. And it's not like a, um, it's not like when you break a bone, and I'm not a doctor, but, you know, they say bones heal back together and that joint is actually even stronger after you break it. It's more like you have, like, a real bad soft tissue damage. And no matter how much physical therapy you go to, there's scar tissue there. And that scar tissue is going to affect you, especially as you get older. I can attest to that. But um, it's, there's always going to be some type of scar when, when that betrayal happens, when that trust is broken. Um, some marriages do, marriages do recover from affairs. I, we know we have friends who um, have experienced that, but... The reality is, reality is the most don't, okay? So I'm just going to give you real quick some, and not an exhaustive list, but some, just some quick tips about how do we invest in our marriage? What do we do to keep, um, to keep these things from happening, to keep the impurity of sex outside of marriage from happening? And I also want to realize, or want us all to realize that um, affairs don't just have to be physical. There are emotional bondings that happen with people that can be an emotional affair, even though... Um, physical sex is not involved. And those emotional affairs can be just as damaging um, as a physical affair, right? Um, but, so one thing, quickly, boundaries. <clears throat> First thing, um, we have to learn how to set good boundaries. You might have, some of you might have, hopefully, you've, if you've watched the news, you saw that Billy Graham had a funeral this past week. And Billy Graham had uh, a boundary where he never met with a woman alone. 
Right? And that might seem really old-fashioned, and you're like, That's, this is 2018, why would we do that? But I would say, if it worked for Billy Graham, it's good enough for me. Um, it's just, we, if we're proactive about our boundaries, or what happens if we're not proactive is, we take little steps just over the boundary, we kind of test the line. And every time we do that, it's easier to step further and further across the boundary. And affair doesn't just usually happen overnight. You don't usually just wake up and say, hey, I'm going to go have an affair. It happens with this slippery slope, we start stepping down. And if we pro proactively set boundaries ahead of time, then we make, um, make, we make it more difficult for ourselves to go over those lines, right? Um, our thought life. So again, we don't usually... Our actions start with thoughts. So when we begin to thinking about, I'm dis dissatisfied with my marriage, or I'm thinking this other person is really affirming to me, I really rather enjoy being with them, those thoughts are what begin before any actions ever happen. And so we need to guard our thought life. And especially, I'm going to just address the men right now. We know that for most guys, all it takes is certain images will start our thought life going, and we start our, our path in the wrong direction, right? So we need to put boundaries around those, and it doesn't just mean stopping your thoughts and going blank. What it means is replacing those thoughts, those impure thoughts, with, um, with the truth of God's Word. And so for me, I, this has been a huge part of my journey, is just... Memorizing scripture verses. Not, not everybody's into memorizing scripture, but I've just found that when I find key verses that speak to me in the Bible, um, and I take the time just to kind of keep going over, the, over them in my head. I mean, there are like a dozen verses just every day that I run through just to get my mind set on, um, on the right things and on the right path. And when an impure thought enters my, my brain, I've got verses that just to counter that, verses that um, bathe my mind in truth so that my... Um, my thought life is not going down the wrong path of impurity. Um, there's a verse from Romans 8, 6, and it says, the mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace, but the mind controlled by the flesh is death. And that's just a good one to remind me. If I start going down that path of my thoughts going in an impure way, that results in death, and I really, I really don't want that. And just remi remembering, remembering verses like that, um, especially as kind, of, as kind of just kind of a defensive acts against um, thoughts that come in are really helpful to me. I'd encourage you guys to use scripture memory. Um, complaining about your spouse in public. So I'm just bringing this up because we talked about it in our eating group recently. We, um, we know a couple where the wife would just speak badly about her husband um, around us and around other people. Um, sometimes he was there, sometimes he wasn't there to defend himself. And so I'm bringing this up because um, she wasn't out to have an affair and I don't think he was either, but... Um, she would, we found out that she would be out in public often without him and complaining about him. And what that did was that opened the door for all these other guys to think, wow, this woman's really dissatisfied. You know, maybe I can be the guy who wants to come in and take care of her. And it opened the door for other people to think about it. And um, when we are not respectful of our spouses in public, um, whether we intend to um, have in infidelity or not, it kind of opens the doors for other people to think about that. And it's another good boundary, I think. But ultimately, um, our fulfillment comes in Jesus, all right? I mean, there would be, I could go on about marriage tips, but when we find our satisfaction in Jesus alone, then we don't begin to look outside for other things. Even, even before you're married, when you, even if you're not even in a dating relationship. Um, and we talked about this a little bit already before, is that... Um, we need to have our satisfaction in Jesus because if we think we're going to find completion in a person, in a relationship, um, sadly, you're mistaken. If you're, if you're not married or even dating yet, I hate to break your, burst your bubble, but 
finding your fulfillment in Jesus first, knowing that he accepts us, that he loves us, that he provides. There's a verse in Psalms about, um, he causes us to drink from his river of delights. And I just love that, that metaphor that we can, God wants to delight us. God offers all this abundance of delight that we, we can feast on. And when we go looking for that in another person or in a relationship or sex outside of marriage or pornography, which I'm going to talk about in a minute, um, we're, just in the, we're going in the wrong direction. Our hearts are not focused on where they should be, and we're going to be disappointed. Um, that's just the way it is. People are not perfect. We can't put all our hope in another person. Um, as beautiful as a marriage relationship can be. Um, Jesus is the one that we need to put our hope in. Um, Romans, not Romans, Matthew 6 talks about how um, if we seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, then all these other things will follow. So that's got to be the first thing. And it's not easy. I mean, we naturally are inclined towards seeking things that are impure, but um, we can do do it by the help of Jesus. All right, Um, moving on. Last week, Pastor Daniel talked about how the word for sexual immorality is the Greek word porneia, which is where we get our English word pornography, right? And um, let me just give you four facts about pornography. Just, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because it's just a really dark issue and subject, but I want to make sure we understand the reality and the effects of it um, and before we get into how can we be free from some of these impure things that enter our lives. Uh, four, four facts. Um, I don't need to tell you, it's super accessible now. In the old days... You had to drive down to an adult bookstore or something and buy a magazine, buy a video. Now you can sit in the comfort of your own home, um, in the privacy of your own home, and watch all the porn you want on your computer screen, right? You guys could be looking at it right now on your mobile devices, for all I know. Hopefully you're not. Um, It's not only accessible. um, With the advent of the internet, it's normalizing. And what I mean by that is, whereas it used to be that lonely, perverted guy sitting at home by himself thinking, I'm kind of ashamed of my behavior, but I can't stop. But now you can go online and he can be the part of online communities and there's all these other men online who are using porn and suddenly he thinks, wow, I'm not so abnormal at all. In fact, there's all these other guys just like me and I don't, I'm not ashamed anymore. I don't really need to stop because I've got all these, these friends online who also do the same things I do and we share ideas and notes and things like that. Um, He may not have met them in person, but uh, the internet allows us to think that this is just kind of a normal behavior. And that's dangerous because there are all these, I'll talk more about some of the consequences. Um, Something you might not realize if you're not a porn user is that porn is increasingly violent. The pornography industry is um, expanding so fast, statistics change every year, but I've read statistics about just a huge percentage of the images in porn and the acts depicted in porn are violence against women. And they're degrading, uh, they're debasing. Um, and that, that in itself uh, causes a lot of societal problems. Um, and then fourth one is that porn is addictive. Um, there have been studies, and maybe you've seen them, about how porn acts just like an addictive drug. And it begins to rewire your brain. It begins to reshape those neural pathways. And just like an addictive drug, you need more and more of something to get that same high and find satisfaction. Right? And so the effects of this are... Um, truly detrimental. So just real quickly, for the users, the users are mostly men. So for men, they begin to detach from reality. So they see all these images on the screen, they begin to believe that all women should look this way, all women should act this way, that this is what a relationship, a physical, sexual relationship should look like. And it begins to be normal for them, which is a total distorted um, perception of what 
what reality is, right? And what happens then is then they become dissatisfied with real life. Real life, real relationships, they take work. Real, real relationships are a lot of effort. They're not, they're not clean, they're messy, right? And so the porn user now says, you know, I don't need to do real relationships. I've got all these women on the screen, right? Um, the spouses of porn users, women mostly, they experience, it's just like an affair, it's rejection. They've become, they've been betrayed and um, they can't compete. So it fuels their insecurity. They can't compete with the false beauty that their men are seeing on the screen. They can't compete with the hundreds of different women that their men can interact with on a daily basis. Um, so, you know, porn actually, the one statistic I will share is that, um, and I don't remember how recent it is, but 58% of divorces involve one of the spouses using porn. And so um, that in itself tells us how it can really break down our society when our families get broken up because of pornography. Um, I won't even go into the impact on kids is pretty, I can talk to you about that individually somewhere. <clears throat> um, all that to say, porn is not in line with God's intent for creation. Right? Hopefully we can agree on that. Um, I mean, you may, think, you may still think porn is harmless because it's just me. I'm not hurting anybody. Uh, but look at Matthew chapter 5. Jesus says, um, if you look on a woman with lust in your heart, then that is equated with adultery as far as Jesus is concerned. Right? So um, porn is not a harmless thing. And the way that God created us in his image, we look in Genesis chapter one, that God created us all as human beings in his image, worthy of honor, worthy of respect, uh, worthy of dignity. Um, when we use other people as objects for our pleasure, then we're breaking God's design for, um, for us and for relationships here on this earth. So there is hope though. We're gonna look at verses 10 through 14 in Ephesians chapter 5, and talk about how we can be free from these things that often shackle us, all right? So Ephesians chapter 5, verse 10. How am I doing on time? All right. <clears throat> Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret, but their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them, for the light makes everything visible. All right, we see the whole light thing again going on. We see the light exposes, it reveals, it expels the darkness. Right? And so here's a key point. If you're taking notes, this is the one I want you to write down. Shining a light on hidden things breaks their control over you. Shining a light on hidden things breaks their control over you. So again, anytime you want to hide something, you, um, it controls you. You're enslaved to it, right? All your energy, all your resources, all your thoughts are into, I don't want anybody to find out. I'm going to keep this hidden away. And you worry about someone finding out all the time, so it consumes you. And in that sense, it controls you, and you're slave to it, right? You're shackled by something that you have to hide. And whether that's shame or whatever that causes you to keep it a secret, um, as long as you're trying to keep it a secret, um, it's got power over you. Uh, think about the last time you got a bad haircut, right? So you're, you get home, and you're like, I don't want anybody to see me. I'm not going to FaceTime anybody. I'm not going to go out. Right? If I go out, I put on my Niners cap, and I hope it's not too windy and my hat blows away, because then people are going to see my bad haircut. Right? Um, or if you don't have a hat, you put a lot of product in your hair, or you try to style it differently. But when you're out, you're just worried. You're worried all the time. It consumes you. It's like, I don't want anybody to see me. I'm self-conscious. Right? And um, in the same way, but in a much more serious way, when we hide away secrets that are deep down inside of us that we're ashamed about, um, they control us. And so the first step is to 
begin to expose them to the light. <clears throat> That's why recovery programs, any kind of 12-step programs, they talk, um, you begin by admitting that you have a problem, right? You begin by shining the light on it and exposing it. And that begins to break the power that it has over you. Um, and as we begin to uh, share with other people, and as we begin to bring our, our impurities before God, um, then these walls of shame fall down. So I had a long, I had a struggle with pornography myself. And for, for a long time, I would, on my own willpower, think I could overcome it, I'd be clean, but then I would fall, and that cycle would repeat itself over and over again. And I'm not going to go into a lot of details today, but I want to share just the key to being broken free from that for me was to begin to talk about. All right, so, and my first step was to share, to confess it to my wife, Angela. And that was as difficult and terrifying as that was, and not to say that it was still easy after that. But um, when I did that, just all these walls of shame just came tumbling down. No longer was it a secret that I just kept hidden to myself. No longer did it have that power to shackle me and keep me captive, captive because I had told someone about it, and now it was out in the open. Now there was light shining on it. And right after that, um, I got together with a couple of men in my life that I've known for a long time, and I shared with them about it. And, and each time I told, as I told them, more walls of shame just started tumbling down, and I just got more and more free. And there was these burdens that were lifted off me because I was no longer spending all my time trying to hide this and make sure nobody knew what was going on inside of me uh, because now it was out in the open. And then I got connected with, um, there's actually a group locally that, works with men who are struggling with sexual sin. And um, every time I talked about it, every time I shared more with another guy, I just had more chains that were just dropping off of me. And these, these walls of shame were broken because I no longer had to hide it. And it was just exposed. The light was shining on it. The power was broken. Um, and then I eventually got a group together of guys who were, I knew had similar struggles and we were accountable to each other. We explored some of what was going on and we prayed for each other and, um, and that was just so essential in finding freedom. And it's just, it's by God's grace and, and God's power that um, we can be free of those things. It's a, these lies come into our heads that we're trapped in the cycle. But um, when we bring it to the light, bring it into God's presence, um, he can free us from it in his power. And it's difficult and we call it vulnerability, right? So vulnerability can only really happen when we know that God accepts us. There's nothing we've done that is too far from God to give us our, to um, offer us forgiveness. There's nothing that we're going to do that God already knows about. And God loves us in spite of it. And God will forgive us. Um, and often we're just too ashamed to bring it before God. Um, but we need others to walk beside us. We need God to work within us. God isn't, he's not a distant God up in heaven who when you come clean, he's going to drop the hammer on you right? God is not the kind of God who, when you come clean before him, he's just going to say, I told you so. God really has our best intentions in mind. God's a God of love. We see that throughout the Bible, and he wants to enfold us into his arms, and he wants us to come clean before him so we can receive his grace and his mercy. All right, so I'm going to put up two slides. Uh, this first one is a marriage resource slide. So this is by far not an exhaustive list. These are three of my favorite books on marriage. Um, there's a couple conferences on there. I can, we can refer you to good counselors if uh, that's something you want in your marriage. But what I'm going to have you guys do, everybody take out your phone and take a snap a shot of this slide. That way you can have these. Um, and if you're not struggling with marriage stuff right now, still take a picture. Because not to be a downer, there's a chance that you will at some point struggle with marriage stuff. Um, if you're not married yet, maybe you will be someday. You might still need this. Or you have a friend who, who might need some of this stuff. Um, uh, if, you, if, if you just have a flip phone with no camera, I'm sorry. <laughs> <So there's, laughs> 
that's all I have to say. Um, the next one is a resource slide for porn. So take your phones out for this next one, too. Um, there's uh, one good book for guys, Every Man's Battle. There's a couple of websites with a lot of resources. Covenant Eyes and Net Nanny are filters. So those are important, especially if you have kids, to have filters, because like I said, kids get exposed at an early age. Um, but go ahead and take a shot of this. Even if you're not struggling with porn, you might know someone that does, or you may end up yourself needing them at some point. Um, I was talking to someone this week, and they described it as these images that we see. It's like uh, feeding, we, it's like we have this pet monster, and we're feeding it these images. And even though it's just totally, you don't know why you're doing it, uh, you're feeding this pet monster images, and you're holding it, and you're keeping it, keeping it by you, and it's like under a blanket, because you don't want anybody else to see it. But eventually, it becomes a part of you, and you're like this strange thing from an alien movie that has this pet monster in you, that you're just feeding it images, and it's, it's got control of you. And so again, bringing it into the light, um, Having account one of those covenant eyes is an accountability filter. So you actually send your browsing history regularly to an accountability partner so that they need to see where you've been online. My email is down there at the bottom. If uh, you just want to talk to me individually in private some other time, reach out. I'd be happy to chat. If you're listening to this on the podcast, it's bwo at eden.church. <clears throat> okay, so let me just wrap up. Um, the good news is that Jesus is the answer to our impurity. Right? Jesus lived... Jesus lived a pure life. The Bible tells us Jesus had no sin, yet he went to the cross for us so that we could be offered an opportunity to come before a God who is pure and holy, a God who is pure light, and we can have a personal relationship. We can have an intimate relationship with God who is not only a pure God, but he's our creator. He's the one who made us to be in relationship. He's a God of relationships, and he is our heavenly father, and Jesus' death on the cross offers that uh, to us if we believe in him and receive his forgiveness. Remember, I talked about Genesis chapter 3. So sin enters this world. This is the whole Adam and Eve story and starts to um, contaminate and pollute the world, right? And it filters throughout all the creation. Well, Jesus comes and he begins to reverse that whole process. Jesus brings purity. When he's on earth, he uh, began to heal people. He began to um, heal relationships. He began to spread his light throughout the earth. And then he dies and he is raised from the dead and goes to heaven and he's left his followers to be the rest of that process. That's us. Part of our job is to be pure light in the circles that God has placed us, to bring his purity, to bring healing and hope in the places where he has placed us and called us um, to serve others. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5 talks about how God is reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting human sins against them. God is now working to bring restoration to all of creation the way that he intended it to be back in the very beginning of the book of Genesis. And the crazy thing is that I still can never wrap my mind around is he invites us to be, he used, we're his instruments. He invites us to be the ones who help bring reconciliation and restoration to the world, to bring people back into right relationship with God, to bring people back into right relationship with one another, to bring people back into right relationship with all of creation. And we do that when we put aside our impurities, we come before God, he declares us clean, and he begins to, um, his light begins to renew inside of us. Um, later on in the Bible, in the book of 1 John, it says, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just, he'll forgive our sins, and he'll purify us of unrighteousness. So that's where we start. We come before God, and we pray that God begins to realign our desires so our hearts aren't seeking something else. Um, Sorry, a lot of scripture verses. Psalm 37 says, delight in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. 
Um, that doesn't mean he's going to fulfill our desires for pleasure, sexual pleasure outside of marriage or our desires for pornography. What it means is he'll realign our desires. He'll take our hearts and he'll, he'll recalculate our route so that we're focused on God and we're aligned with him. And then we experience our desires as his desires. And then we begin to free ourselves from impurity. We begin to live relationships the way God intended. We begin to see people through God's eyes. We begin to put um, others' needs above ours. We begin to put God first over us. We begin to let go of all just serving ourselves all the time and making sure we're satisfied. And we begin to look to how we can serve others. We begin to see one another and treat each other with honor and dignity and respect. We begin to build communities where we actually help move one another toward wholeness in our relationships. And that's what happens when we accept the freedom that God offers us. So one last verse to wrap us up is um, Romans chapter 6. The Apostle Paul, again, is writing another letter. And he says that we are no longer slaves to sin, but we're slaves to righteousness. That means when we come before Jesus and trust him and receive his forgiveness and let go of those things that we are holding inside and hiding, we're no longer controlled by those impurities. Instead, we begin to walk as people of light, as God's holy people that he called us to be, to be shining his light here in this world. In this world. So may that truth kind of go with us as we go out today with our in the relationships that God has brought into our lives. Let me, uh, will you pray with us? Pray with me. God, thank you that you are a God of relationships, that you are pure and holy, and you call us into a relationship with you, and that you desire for us to enjoy relationships here on earth uh, the way that you designed them to be. So, God, we pray that you align our hearts with your desires, that you'll remove from us any of the impurities that we're hiding away, that we will find freedom as we bring those things to the light and that you will uh, just reorient us to be a part of what you're doing here on earth, to let your light shine in the darkness of this world. You were so good that you didn't just leave this world broken and polluted and contaminated, but you are in the process of restoring all things. And I pray that we will be faithful in being a part of that process as you call us. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, the band's going to lead us in another song. And uh, what we're going to do today is we're going to have a time of communion. So if that's new to you, Communion is a time where we come. There's two tables in the back there. As they lead us in this next song, feel free to go as you're ready to the table. If you're a follower of Jesus, we go and we take of the bread, which is the body of our Lord broken for us, and we dip it in the cup, which is the blood of our Lord shed for us. Just remembering that Jesus died on the cross so that we could be free from our impurities and declared clean as we accept his forgiveness. But we don't just remember, we also celebrate the present, that Jesus is risen, he's alive, he's with us today. And we celebrate his presence at the communion table. And as we leave the communion table, uh, we anticipate the future when Jesus will, will return in all of his full glory and splendor and holiness. And we can just be fully in his presence, pure and unadulterated. So um, we'll have the communion during this next song. And also there will be a team at the prayer table on my right, your left, in the back. They would love to pray for you, whatever's on your heart today, uh, if you've come with, other, with burdens or if something in the message touched you or whatever it is, they'll pray with you, they'll pray for you, and uh, we'd invite you to come anytime during the rest of the service to the prayer table.